0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash voicesinmyhead. That's audibletrial.com slash voicesinmyhead. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash voicesinmyhead. Give it a try today. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on twitter at rickley james and sharing your thoughts about today's show Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James. And this week on the podcast, we have another Rick, which is like Rick squared this week, which I'm pretty excited about. We have Rick Incorvati. Please tell me I said that right. You said that perfectly All right. right. (laughs) Good to be with you. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here today. Just a a quick introduction of you, and I'm going to let you do most of your introducing just by telling us some of your story. But you are here in Springfield, Ohio, where I live, at Christ Episcopal Church. You are a deacon there, and you also teach at Wittenberg, which we'll look forward to hearing a little bit more about that. But you've been here, I think, roughly maybe 15 years, I'm thinking. Yeah, I got here
1: in in, uh, 2002.
0: Okay, all right. I came at the end of 2001, so we've been here almost the same amount of time in this community, so our paths are intersecting. Uh, I... uh, A few weeks ago, after the Charlottesville incident, just to give our listeners some background on this, and and definitely I talked about it on this podcast because the whole world was sort of up in arms about that. and I got to hear you at the Charlottesville vigil that we had here in Springfield, which was actually a really beautiful night. I think there was, what, 250, 300, something That's like that? That's what the newspaper said. That's what the it, newspaper it was a said. a good
1: crowd. Good crowd was, uh, of people. And a uh, nice lineup of speakers, uh, beautiful weather. Just, yeah. All the planets aligned that night Something
0: special was happening. It was it was very nice. And then, a um, maybe a week and a half ago, we had a, an event called Faith Community Unites that a yeah. lady in our community just had a burden for. And you sort of opened the evening that night, and and I, I was playing some music, and and you talked. And I hope you'll take this as the compliment I mean it as, because um, one of my heroes is Mr. Rogers, all right? I mean, seriously, yeah. I've, there's been a couple really. I'm a fans well, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Childhood television well, sticks with us. That's right. And one thing I love about Mr. Rogers, um, and, and I mean, there have been a couple really good, like solid, even like the theology of, of him and stuff and his life as a minister. But one thing I love about him is he's always focusing on neighborliness. And I hope you'll take this as the compliment. I mean it as both times when I've heard you speak, you've not only done a great job, but you have reminded me of like Mister Rogers. Like this, and and I mean that in the sense like there's a there's a warmth and a comfort to people. You know, there's people that when they talk, they're almost like comfort food. You know, (laughs) like that. And so I have felt uh, every time that I've heard you speak, I've felt um, just a a real kindred spirit with you. And so I've always always appreciated that. So uh, we had a chance to talk uh, and and just say hey we should get together and do a podcast because you've got a lot of interesting things going on in your life and I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story as we talk because yeah, I think well, I appreciate you being able to do that um, my pledge has been um, to listen to brothers and sisters in the church and we do a lot of that on this podcast and it's not always people in the church we've had movie stars we've had actors we've had directors we've had different people but the thing they all hold in common is a journey of faith in some form or another that, mm-hmm. uh, and many of them come from many different walks of life. And we live in an age and we live in a society um, where the church doesn't know what to do with gay Christians. I think the church universally almost is, is in this struggle and for certain um for certain things it seems like all of a sudden churches become fundamentalists and they just want to quote scriptures left and right and they'll you know say things yeah. like this yeah. and other times we claim oh no, we're, we've moved beyond fundamentalism and we don't want to be there and yet somehow we, we still get stuck on certain issues and you are the director and are you also the founder of Equality Springfield? Yeah, you're, okay.
1: uh, organizations uh, come together because there's a spirit in, sure. in the community sure. and, and so uh, founder feels like too much okay. is, is being said about what I did. Uh, but there was a dinner at my house. Okay. <laughs> and some people who were interested in having a voice in the community came together uh, around that dinner. I think that was around 2009 sometime. Hmm. And um, uh, just had just had ideas about um, the ways that uh, LGBT people might be represented. Uh, I think one of the the big Marks of a community too is their uh, policies on discrimination, and so there was some interest in being a voice hmm. at, uh, at City Hall and and seeing if we could join those communities where we said firing and and uh, evicting was uh, was conduct that we we didn't want to extend to our LGBT citizens. Sure. So, so we tried to start that dialogue and. Um, uh, kind of formed a, a broader community in the process of being that that voice. I mean, it's an ongoing conversation yeah. in Springfield, as it is in many communities. Um, but by starting that that organization, um, uh, it was a gift, because there, there were people who came into my circle, and I'm sure into other people's circles, too, who otherwise may not have met, may not have mm-hmm. had uh, an opportunity to get to know each other, and and to try and be voices of change in one way or another
0: okay very cool well i'm looking forward to hearing your story that's really what just so our listeners will know that's what this podcast is about tonight um i i am always interested in hearing stories of people because when i hear their stories oftentimes uh, i am enriched and my own views begin to open up and see things in new ways and so i wanted to talk to you because you're actually a person i highly respect in the faith community and and um not just you, but people I respect talk about you with respect, and so I'm getting to know you more, um, and I'm and I'm glad to have you here to tell some of your story tonight. And I, so, what I'd like to do, if we could, and you can go as far back as you want to, uh, but I'd love to know a little of your like your beginnings, where you come from, maybe what your faith background is, and um, you know, you can go to as little or as much detail as you really want to, but you didn't start out in Springfield, Ohio, but somehow you're here yeah. now and you're on staff at a church, but you're also a teacher at Wittenberg university, which you've had to do a lot of study to, to, get to that point for sure. So, um, why don't you start wherever you want? Maybe just, you know, as a child, give us some of your backgrounds and just start telling us some of your story. If I, if it's okay, I might interrupt here and there with questions along the way. Yeah,
1: please do. But okay. Um, and before I get there though, um, uh, that hearing stories about a person uh, that may be in part due to the person, but it's also a Springfield thing. It's yeah. One of the reasons I've enjoyed living in Springfield mm. because I, I feel like I've known you in part at a distance, just mm. from some of the same coffee shops we right, around. Right, right. We've just been uh, moving in circles that uh, that seem to. I mean we're going to intersect eventually Sure. So, so right I was glad when you said well come on by and let's have a conversation.
0: Yeah, well in this uh, this community I'm I'm thankful. I feel like it is sort of Me a tight knit community with people that I, I i felt a lot of love here and i we've got a bad reputation you know like we keep getting the saddest city in america (laughs) and you know that there was a list a couple months ago the most white trash cities in america we were the top 10 or something but uh i i like our community and i I love our people here um so yeah like just kind of start where where are you from originally yeah so
1: I, i uh i grew up in a town that was not too different from the the uh, Springfield, uh, Barberton, Ohio, which is on the south side of Akron. Okay. And Barberton, you could kind of cut Springfield in half. You know, Springfield's about a 60,000 city. Barberton's about a 30,000 city. Mm-hmm. But it was called the Magic City because it, it had this industry that, that powered it, and everyone was very proud of in the way that Springfield is proud of its uh, industrial past. Hmm. Um, so I grew up there in that uh, that Magic City Um And I uh, grew up in the house that my grandpa built, and my dad was captain of the football team, and my mom was the head cheerleader, and they were living in that house. So, um, very much part of our community, and um, the church, as I was growing up, was uh, the Episcopal Church, and this is not an unusual story where you have one spouse who's Catholic, mm-hmm. another spouse who's Protestant, mm. and if they're dead set in their ways, they're going to find some happy medium in okay. between, and the Episcopal Church has always been that church that mm. um, maintains a lot of the Catholic traditions, um, but, uh, but some of its theology tends towards uh, the, the Protestant Reformation or grew out of that, uh, that moment. So my mom and dad found a home in the, in the Episcopal Church, and um, and you know I grew up doing a lot of the things that that young people do in the church. You you go to Sunday school, and are, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I always wonder what's going on during the sermon time when sure. you're not there. You know, think something mystical is happening that the kids mm. can't be around for, and then drive home and get donuts at Krispy Kreme on the way home. So there was a lot <laughs> of tradition
0: there. So and, it was a magic place if it had Krispy Kreme, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> it was, it was. See, the things you remember, I forget all the sermons, but, uh, <laughs> I remember that piece. Uh, and so it was, it was part of the family routine. Um, and I don't think like a lot of things in life, I don't think I would felt the full dimensions of that till I got older hmm. in my life. Um, but I, I had a, I had a good youth. I was, uh, you know, uh, I've never wanted for friends in in middle school and in high school um, but there I always knew I was gay hmm. at some level I, I always knew that was there
0: now and, now you say always can you can you remember an age where you like started because i always wonder because i'm not sure children always are even aware of that at at all at some point you know like my son right now he's four and i'm not even sure he's aware of much of anything other than the toy he's playing with yeah and you got to be
1: careful because anything that you're going to say about yourself when you were four years old is a retroactive thing yeah you're going to go back and make sense of something in a a way that maybe at the time you wouldn't have made sense of it and um, yeah, I, I certainly agree with the idea that like sexual orientation wasn't an experience at that that mm-hmm. moment. Um, but there were there were interests that I had. There were um, um, people that I was interested in. Uh, I would watch TV and just kind of identify with certain personalities in a way that, when I look back on it now, that's how I connect the dots. I guess. Mm. Um, and. Like uh, any other teenager, I think middle school is that period where okay, if you had any questions, they're over now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's when
0: I knew, and um, and it's such a hard age anyway. I mean, you're you bet. you're just everything's forming and nothing seems there doesn't seem like there's much of any solid ground <laughs> in right. life. I remember, oh, I hated those years so bad.
1: <laughs> and and I'm gonna give my age away, so this would be like the. Uh, the late '70s, somewhere around there, that I was uh, in middle school, and and I can honestly say, in my town of 30,000, you could look around and not find one person who was openly gay. So as far as there being mm-hmm. role models, none. Yeah. Uh, and if you're feeling this in yourself, and you know that there's there are these words out there, there are sissies and queers, and mm-hmm. I'll just leave you know everyone to their own imaginations to find the other words. And you know, on some level, when my friends say that, they mean me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's it's you know you got to put that away. You know yeah. you got to find some other avenue. Mm. Um, and so a lot of my junior high school and then high school experiences involved um, doing the doing the quote unquote right thing. you Yeah. Know, uh, and having the girlfriend and going to the dances and not feeling that it was ever natural to me, mm. but knowing that was, that was the only alternative at the time. I've talked to other people in my own generation, and we had the same story where the only person that we saw in the media at that time was Billy Crystal, who was a character on mm. this sitcom. Soap. Soap, yeah. right. Yeah. So that, as much as it was farcical, was like this person that was out there owning it, saying, mm-hmm. I was gay on primetime TV. I yeah. was a fictional character, and no one in, in the sitcom soap was someone that you wanted to identify with, necessarily. But I think that's a sign of the appetite that's out there. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to find a way to live your life, and you need role models to say what you're feeling is valid. Mm. Um, and I, I really think a lot of people in my generation just grew up at a time where that wasn't available, hmm. was not an option. Now, it was for some people. there um, Before these years, uh, there are enclaves in, in cities like New York and San Francisco where I think um, you know, some of the people who just were, that, were dead set, that's how they were going to live their lives. They knew they had to go there yeah. and find those urban centers where community would await them
0: can i can i stop you for just yeah. one second and we'll get back on your story um because i used to be the youth pastor at this church and and have dealt with a lot of teens over the years um this is where my heart starts to ache a little bit and start to yeah. think like i wonder what i could have done better because i know that every church that i have served in i always had teens that came forward that were um in that junior high um, to early, mid, high school area, um, and s- most of them came to me at some point, and thankfully they felt safe enough to talk to me. But many times, just sitting in my office, just trembling, not having anybody else to tell, and and like literally terrified. And and I remember one girl um, told me and the adult youth worker that we're sitting there, you know, together, telling us that she was terrified to tell us that. Um, she believed she was gay because the last church she was at asked her not to come back until she was straight, mm. you know, type thing. Right. And so this is where my this is where my heart starts tugging because it, it, what you talked about with role models and and I, I want to ask you like was there anybody in your church that was helpful a, at that point? Because like you said, it was it was tough because I uh, I'll get teary thinking about it <laughs> um, but the number of kids who are seriously seeking after God in their lives and have felt like they couldn't because they haven't felt like their church, the sanctuary was a safe place for them. Right. And so I guess my question, to interrupt you for a second, did you feel That's like you had question. that at all um, in your home congregation?
1: I, I didn't have that. Um, I think what I did have was uh, was a church where... Um, Sexual orientation wasn't an... I won't say it wasn't an issue. It it was an issue, but it wasn't a preoccupation. Okay. So um, I think I heard one sermon um, where I could identify, oh, part of the message here is uh, it's bad to be gay. Hmm. Um, And I was... I don't know how old I would have been there. I I think I would have been a young teenager at that point. So I knew what was going on. I knew it involved me... um, on a private level, and um, and it didn't sink that it didn't sink in that deeply. Hmm. Um, Probably because it wasn't a reiterated message; it was it was a, a one one sermon out of many that I would have heard, and that was it. Uh, my my husband, um, who grew up very much in the, the Christian tradition, in the African American Baptist Church, um, in the Pentecostal tradition as well. Uh, heard that message uh, from various pulpits, not necessarily his home pulpit, but heard that message a lot. Mm. And so I think his relationship to the church is uh, is really an interesting one because he was he is and was um, deeply invested in the life of the church. His family, his whole family was. Um, so when those messages came across, they were of some consequence mm. to him. Um, yeah, for, for me, it just felt like, well, that may be one of the deal-breakers, but it's not a real big deal to hmm. begin with. So there weren't role models, um, but I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I, I was fortunate to grow up in a church that was fairly welcoming. Hmm. Uh, there certainly wasn't the message that if you were gay, you weren't welcome here, hmm. that you needed um, to straighten that out, and then and then return when you wouldn't be a bad influence right. on others. I, uh, that. That we didn't hear. Um, I think I did grow up with this sense that there was a part of me that would be outside of the church. If I were going to make sense of it, the mm. church was not going to be the place that gave me the language mm. to, um, to think about that part of myself. And, mm. and it sounds bad, and maybe it is bad, articulating it that way. Um, I'd like to believe that the church is fairly universal about our human nature and speak to it but it didn't feel like a bad decision on mm. my part it was just if I were going to make sense of this if I were going to integrate my sexual orientation in my life and you know I think in my teenage years I never would have thought that that was the goal That mm. the goal was to put this away mm. um, and to live the life like all the other lives around me in my community and um,
0: but, which is which is what many denominations would still stay, still right, say right. and and probably the vast majority of my denomination would would probably still yeah. you know say that just kind of bury it and and no. don't talk about it and and do that and and at the same time we've you know uh I have family members I have friends I have people who are really struggling with it because they don't want to leave Jesus <laughs> they right. don't want to leave their faith community behind right. and yet sometimes they don't feel like there's an alternative and so I think we're all learning how to how can we how can we walk this journey together and, and how yeah. can we find Jesus together. So so your so your story has taken us at this point up to sort of your junior high, middle school years and you're still your family's still active in that same episcopal church, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um so where does your journey take you from there? Let's say maybe college, I'm assuming college. you left home and yeah, okay.
1: college, um and uh I went to John Carroll University, which is a, um, uh, a Jesuit college just outside of Cleveland. So that was not a big help. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was kind of the same same deal. Where there were people there who I think were let's put it, were others would identify as gay. Okay, but no one who would self-identify. Oh, as okay, gay. Um, and. Um, so and that's still early, you know. I, I uh, went there in '83. Was there between '83 to '87. Uh, so the world is the world is changing, and uh, but but I would say the Catholic tradition is is one of those that that has drawn a pretty firm line about what's uh, what's acceptable and what's not. And so that wasn't going to be a place where you'd find a a, a gay student union or openly gay students being. I don't think they would have. Been reprimanded or ushered off campus in mm-hmm. any way, but um, now, it wasn't a welcome.
0: Time yeah there. can I, Can I just ask as you're as you're doing this and as you went there to study at a Jesuit university, were you feeling a call to ministry uh, at, at that time, or no, what was your? I,
1: you know that um, I think I may have had a call to ministry. I, I think I did early on when I was young. I liked church, mm-hmm. and I would. We had this. Wonderful, um, just loving father of a of a priest at St. At, uh, Peter's Episcopal Church. Um, so who wouldn't admire him? You know, he just said all the right things at the, all the right times. He was big and gracious, had his feet on the ground. He wasn't, um, um, I don't know, overly. Didn't come across as sanctimonious in any way. He was just uh, he was well suited to that job. Mm. Um, But there was something about his role that was appealing to me um, at an early phase. But I think when, like, in high school, that itch wasn't there, and in college, that itch wasn't Mm -hmm. there. And I probably went the way of a lot of college students where my my thoughts turned mainly secular.
0: Yeah.
1: And the uh, sexual orientation would have been one piece of that. You know, I, I think I needed to turn elsewhere to find the language to help me make sense of it, find the voices that, that I could listen to. Um, but um, but in other ways, too, I'm, I'm not sure that the church was always, as good as it might have been, That I should say the church that I was in contact with, it giving me the language to understand the world around me. I mm-hmm. just felt like the secular world was coming into my head. and and organizing my experience and was rewarding and remains rewarding mm-hmm. and, uh, in some ways. And um, so, yeah, I didn't feel the pull to go to church regularly, and um, kind of my academic thinking became more central to my, to my life at that point. Okay.
0: And so your your studies then led you to what was your what was your major then? Like, yeah, there's you, an odd thing. Yeah, it just
1: uh, it, it's really a detour. Oh, okay. My, my uh, and we don't my have to major, talk about it if you
0: don't want. It. I'm just curious. <laughs> I'll try and
1: give you the the short story because because uh, <laughs> it can be a long story. My major is in marketing. Uh, my degree is in business administration. Okay. And. Uh, Here's where I really want to thank the Jesuits. Uh, they want their students to have philosophy and lots of philosophy. So right. I had one more philosophy class to get out of the way before I graduated. Sure. And I uh, took this 19th century European philosophy class in my first semester senior year. And it was like the, the moment, you know, click. oh, my gosh, ideas. Yeah. I just want to work with ideas and sure. play with ideas. And, you know, you start... Being aware of your mortality and saying, well, what am I going to do with this life that I am? Being drawn to big ideas just yeah. seemed to be important at that moment. And I thought, well, you know, mom and dad were helping me pay through, paid for college, and I wasn't going to go to them and say, oh, I think I'm declaring a different major. Yeah. I'm going to be off and be a poor philosophy student. So I graduated, <laughs> and I worked for a year in sales. I was in Cleveland and St. Louis, and uh, after about a year... Uh, I called up some of my fraternity brothers back at the, the college and said, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to Cape Cod, I'm frying seafood, and I'm reading Moby Dick, who's coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> and five of us just went out to the Cape and did wow. the kind of go-find-yourself sure. summer.
0: Almost, who would it be? Hemingway? It would be, you know, (laughs) become a man, go out and. Yeah. Or uh, who who was it? Was it Walden? Go build a cabin? Or (laughs) whatever it was. But yeah, things like that. It was that time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time for it, though. I mean, yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. It
1: was perfect. So um, I'm grateful to just having the courage to do that when life, I think, could have very easily taken me another direction. I'd been perfectly happy there. But uh, that's when I thought, well, English may be the way for me to be in the company of ideas and um, maybe more suited to the way my mind works too mm-hmm. and it turned out okay
0: sure yeah. well great so how do we, um, you know you we all have different roads that take us to where we are um, but you're back in the church now yeah and you're serving again so I'm curious about your story of of uh, sort of following that call back yeah and especially in uh, and let me ask you this, because you grew up in an Episcopal church and now you're serving in Christ Episcopal Church. Are, are those, I'm, I'm always curious about our stories because sometimes I think, I don't know if I'd be in the Church of the Nazarene if I wasn't raised in the Church of the Nazarene. Right. But it's where I'm comfortable right. and it's where I've I found myself. Um, tell us sort of about that part of your journey of like yeah. coming back to it again. Because,
1: that, and that is my the favorite part of my story, I sure. think. Um, <clears throat> There's this great book out now that I really recommend. Tanahasi Coat got has a book called Between the World and Me. He grew yes, read it. In Baltimore, yeah. And, yeah. and so he talks about being poor and in Baltimore, and, and then uh, he goes to Howard University, and he calls Howard his mecca because it was when he was at Howard that he saw all these different walks of life. Different things became possible. He intersected with another group of people. And for me, that was the University of North Carolina. Sure. So I... Um, I went there to study English, and that was the place where if I was looking for the language to understand sexual orientation, I found it there, hmm. and then I found a community there, um, and I also um, found my interest in uh, the church come back there, and it was really through the Quakers there. There was a Quaker meeting group that uh, was near the campus, and I was interested in them for a couple reasons. One, they just, they weren't big into doctrine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Quakers were more about that silent voice within and being still long enough to discern what that voice was saying to you. And then having the courage to live the life that that voice was telling you to live. Wow! So um, the Quakers brought me back to church. Hmm. Um, and they're still part of my practice, still yeah. uh, part of my life. The other part of them that always nags at the back of my, my head, or at least seems like the, the question that I would hope every Christian would ask, is um, if we look back to the 18th century after, who was standing there in the way of slavery saying, this is not the way to go? Mm-hmm. Well, it was the Quakers more than anyone yeah. who were the abolitionists. And I think what their virtue is, partly the attention they give to that That still voice within us. Once we get into large communities and we form polities, and and then um, there are statements of belief and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things, movement doesn't happen very quickly. Mm. Um, So I look at the Quakers as the wake-up call for a lot of us. Mm. Um, If I go uh, last couple years, I've taken vacations in the South where. You know, plaques are outside of uh, some churches in major downtown areas, and you can kind of read where were they yeah. during the civil rights era or during yeah. slavery. And um, was just in Atlanta over this summer, and there's um, you know there's an Episcopal church down there with a plaque that doesn't say too much about the Civil War or, yeah. or just that it was built by Confederate uh, um, members of the Confederate Army. But um, and there's a the United Church of Christ church down there that uh, was the one of, had to be one of the first integrated churches. Because the moment that slavery was over, they opened up schools. Hmm. Because they knew these slaves were going to need new jobs. Yeah. And they needed to be educated. And so the people who taught them were sitting next to the students in yeah. those pews. The white teachers, the African American students. And, hmm. and so there's that plaque right downtown. Yeah, um, And I got to think that whatever the kingdom of God is, it's leading us in that Direction, maybe it's yeah. that neighborliness. Yeah, you
0: know, right. Um, well, and you think of the, and I'll I'll put it this way, uh, the Quakers who themselves were incredibly persecuted in this country. I mean, uh, like. Like We don't want to face that part of our history, but man, we, we really put it to the Quakers. <laughs> like yeah. I say we, I mean Christian people in this country yeah. because they didn't believe in baptism, so they were going to, you know, <laughs> we put them on a cart and tied them to it, and people went with hot pinchers and ripped their flesh off going down the street, Ooh. and that was the church, you know, that was the church doing those things. Um, and And what's amazing to me is I know a lot of Quakers now, and almost all of them, I find to be like you, incredibly gracious. And in many ways, I would want to say, what do you have to be so gracious for? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like you should be the person that's angry if anybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in many ways, um, as I've often heard it said, and it, it may be kind of a trite little saying, but what – trials can either make us better or they can make us bitter and i think in many cases it's it's made people better you know and and help them to overcome a lot so anyway sorry that was just no, sort of a, right. a side note on no. that but yeah
1: no but that, that i i agree the quakers that i know are um it's not to say they don't get angry they're impassioned yeah but, for um, sure uh but they are gracious and and some of the theologians that write within that tradition have um just some of some of the books that stick with me too yeah. so so um, I, I don't worship or pray with the, the Quakers uh, much these these days there occasionally I get a Sunday off and I'll drive down to Yellow sure. Springs and I'll <laughs> go to the, the Quaker meetings to keep those uh, those roots uh, alive and, and uh, feeding me but um, uh, yeah I, I then found my way and it was coming back to Springfield when I found my way into the Episcopal Church
0: again. Wow. Um, so, so I think the
1: Quakers kind of brought me back into a relationship with God and uh, seeing social justice as part of living out a covenant with God. God. Um, and the other piece of it was um, really much like what Ta-Nehisi Coates writes about. If you have the advantage in your life to spend some time in a place that you can call your Mecca, mm-hmm. then you need to bring that with you because not everyone gets a chance to be in a place like that.
2: Sure.
1: Um, So I feel really fortunate, because I don't know who I'd be if I weren't at the University of North Carolina. Yeah. You know, there were my role models. Yeah. There were the ideas. There was the acceptance. And there was rigor there, too. It's not just a kumbaya. We we all get along. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was all those things combined, and I'm grateful for it.
0: Um, And actually, when you really get to know people, sometimes it gets even harder to love them. (laughs) You know, yeah. in some way, that's yeah. the, the challenge of the gospel is like, wow, that person might be an enemy, but guess what? Jesus says we've got to love our enemies, you know, and, uh, Isn't that the our, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's not an easy task at all. So, so anyway, so at this point in our journey and, and we may be fast forwarding a little bit, but yeah. you're, you've moved to Springfield and, and I assume you moved here uh, for the teaching position, but, or or uh, yeah. was it partially also because you knew you'd have an opportunity to serve, or was that something that came as a result of moving here? Yeah, uh,
1: that came as a result of moving here. Okay. So um, And it was actually it didn't happen until after uh, forming Equality Springfield. And, hmm. and uh, my pastor at the time, Charlotte Reed, said, you, you might think about looking into the diaconate um, to being a deacon, because some of the work that you're doing now is the yeah. work that within... The Episcopal Church is what we identify as being part of that hmm. um, that order. Um, and it felt right to me. Hmm. Um, and it it seemed, you know, I think ambivalence is a way of life for me, so I never feel like I'm definite at any point. But as I went through the, the training, um, it's not really seminary, but there's um, a, a kind of a three-year school that we, we went through, um, I did feel that I was able to connect my theology to the work that I felt I wanted to do, and or that just felt right to me in the community. So, the diaconate was kind of bringing that together, mm-hmm. um, bringing my interest in the in the church, and then finding a deeper relationship to God. And an interesting community and church is first and foremost a community. Yeah, um, all those things seem to gel around
0: and that. And I think that's powerful because. Um, I, I know I'm in my own life. I've told people all the time, like I I tried to run from ministry. <laughs> you know, I tried to get away from it in many ways. I just wanted to be a guitarist out on the road playing for Vince Gill or somebody. You know, yeah. that's all I wanted to do was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I, I didn't know that this could be such a wonderful part of a journey. That there was still going to be music and still going to be life yeah. Um, yeah. in other ways. But uh, but I I tried to run from it for a while. I, you know, my dad was a pastor. I didn't think I wanted to be. So it's interesting to me always to hear these stories because I, even just hearing your story um, and your journey back to even learning to listen in a contemplative way and start to find that voice of God that was speaking to you in the midst of Mennonite congregations and wherever you were because a lot of our hearing God is just allowing ourselves to be quiet enough <laughs> to hear it I in agree. many ways. Yeah. I'm always just fascinated in in the idea that maybe maybe we are not as uh as free as we think we are <laughs> in some ways you know and I, I right. maybe free is not the right word but I can remember this, and, and sorry, this is going to be off topic just a little bit, but not incredibly. Sounds um, good to me. Whenever I was being ordained in, in my denomination as an elder, um, which is, is it would be sort of like what you do, but I, but I can preach and, and do things in this denomination and do the sacraments and marrying and, and things like that, so it's a little bit different, but um, we still have the track of ministry you have to go through and several years of study and working in church and and my dad is also a pastor and at my ordination I was able to invite a minister to to come and pray the ordination prayer over me you know and and they would anoint you and 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 you know give you say take the authority to preach the word and minister the sacraments which is a pretty powerful moment mm-hmm. but when my dad was praying over me he prayed this prayer and in his prayer he said something I never knew um, at least if I had known it I'd forgotten it um, I knew I was born uh, way premature, like months early, and and I spent the first several, uh, m- couple months at least, I think anyway, in like an incubator type thing in the hospital. And my dad, as he's at my ordination praying over me, he says, Lord, uh, as I as I told you when Rick was in the hospital for all those years, and we were afraid we are going to lose him, I told you then I was going to give him to you for your service and whatever you wanted. <laughs> and I see it coming to fruition today. You know, like that... Well, there wasn't like this push from my dad yeah. throughout my whole life yeah. to be like, "You've got to be a minister or whatever whatever yeah. What's interesting to uh-huh. me is that it was God's direction and leading that took me to this path where all of a sudden I went like, "Oh, oh I thought this was my choice, you uh, know uh, <laughs> or something, you know Sorry. so i I feel like i I can almost hear some of that path in your story too like it's not it's not even something you were seeking out. It's almost like Like, hey, God is the one seeking us. It's not us uh, (laughs) seeking him. And and sometimes it would be easier if we could get away from him, but God is a relentless pursuer of our lives, and uh, and just comes to us. So anyway, sorry, yeah, I, I took yeah, that side that's trail. A, that's a good message. But I but I hear that, and I, I hear that in your story, and so it's kind of a it's an awesome thing. I, I always want to celebrate that when I hear it of of like, wow, we're not as big as we think we are <laughs> in some ways. So yeah. So you've you've been here in around I think you said around 2010 you started uh, e- equality. Springfield Quality
1: Springfield yeah okay
0: yeah. and and sort of the the purpose behind that just for listeners who won't know most people that listen aren't from Springfield so they aren't gonna probably know fully what this is but
1: yeah and I got involved in um, um, I'll try and and tell this in a short version um, I got involved in equality Ohio um, which is a state-level non-discrimination LGBT advocacy group um, and and the reason for getting involved in it, I've heard other people who are gay, lesbian, transgender tell the, the same story. Um, in fact, there's a, a, one person right now who is the only openly gay legislator in the, the state house. Hmm. Um, and she tells the same story. If you ask her, when did you decide you were going to get into uh, public life? She says 2004.
2: Hmm.
1: And when I came to Wittenberg, I didn't say anything about being gay. I just figured this is a private thing. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, advocacy was not something I was going to do. But in 2004, that was the year that um, on our ballot was um, an issue that would put the um, marriage prohibition in the state constitution. Now, it was already against the law. So mm-hmm. it was, this was really an effort to try and put a nail in the coffin. Mm. And Everyone knew it was going to pass, but when we saw the numbers um, by which it passed, it felt like a kick in the stomach,
2: hmm.
1: you know, and, and that was the thing when I said, I've got to get active. I mean, I think I literally just was online like the next day or hmm. two days later just uh, processing that all. Well, that's when Equality Ohio started, hmm. and that's when Nikki Antonio decides she's going to run for public office. And, uh, yeah, that's when when I thought, well, I've got to do something because this is, um, it felt degrading, unnecessarily degrading. Um, And uh, and so that got me interested in being a voice in some way or another. Um, And then by, so, being involved at the state level, just on a board, um, so you're, you know, traveling into Columbus Mm -hmm. once every month or something, and being a part of meetings was the extent of it. And then feeling like, well, if you're going to be committed at the state level, then you should be at work in your community, too. And hmm. that's, that's kind of where Equality Springfield for me got, got started. But there were other people who were, um, who I think, had an appetite for it. There is one other story around it, too. And I, I don't, um, somewhere around 2009, it was the summer of 2009. I don't know what put me in this direction, but um, I decided I was going to write a letter for the Springfield New Sun. Mm-hmm. A longer editorial, and see if they would publish it. Mm-hmm. And um, and they did, or they, they said, "Yeah, we want to want to put this in here." And all this was was me saying, "Here's how Springfield looks uh, through the eyes of a gay person," mm-hmm. and um, it would be beneficial for other people like me if the community made this statement that um, if you feel you are fired or evicted. Um, or denied services because you're gay, lesbian, transgender, you would have some recourse. Right? Mm-hmm. That should be against city city policy. Right now, it's legal, and uh, there are people who want it legal and fought mm-hmm. to have it legal, and so it is legal. Uh, people with with uh, more influence than uh, than our group has.
0: So when you say legal, like it's it's legal to be denied services. Yeah. And, or yeah. just even to be fired from your job. Be fired from your job. See, I, I wasn't even yeah. aware of that. Yeah. So ju- just, and they don't have to have any other reason except for finding out you're not straight. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, and there are places with that policy. Hmm. You don't hire gay or lesbian people in their communities where um, it's illegal to do that. Uh, hmm. 20 cities in Ohio, with hmm. the latest county, but, but Springfield is not one of those. Oh so yeah we're still uh still making that push
2: yeah.
1: um but i wrote this yeah that that editorial and and um, there were friends that i'd had that i'd worked with kind of just in outreach and they were from more conservative religious traditions and i was worried you know and i sent the editorial to them before it appeared in the paper and i i uh, just said well i want you to know that this is going to be in the paper and this is a part of my life that i haven't shared with you mm-hmm. And in some cases, I knew not only where they stood because uh, of their own religious traditions, but also when I did a turn on the vestry and our church received letters from people in the community who wanted us to know they weren't happy when Gene uh, Robinson, an openly gay bishop, was ordained. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of another flashpoint. Um, and so these are my friends, but they I don't think they knew I was in the vestry meeting where their letter was, mm-hmm. was read, uh, and I experienced nothing but graciousness. Mm. Um, I remember uh, one friend in particular hugging me and saying, "Well, we're Christians. We don't agree,
2: mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but just you know, so you're, yeah. you're you're always that person that you were for me." So, wow, um, that was a that was a moment for me to say, "Okay, here's my picture. Here is here are my words. Uh, yeah. I'm a gay man. I'm living in Springfield. I don't feel that there's a tension." Um, well, I'll say I don't think, I don't feel, and I don't believe that there's a tension between my orientation and my Christian life, um, and, uh, and this is who I'm going to be as a member of this community. Hmm. I think that, that was kind of a launching pad at that moment. Um, and I've got to give kudos to, uh, Wittenberg University, uh, for being a place where not only did I feel comfortable saying that, um, but I felt like I had colleagues that I worked with who would uh, would welcome it. Would mm-hmm. um, they would be okay with it? They wouldn't see that as drawing too much attention or um, um, being in any way a poor reflection on the university. So, um, in some ways, that's a that's a gift that. I feel I should be using because I have so many friends who aren't in that spot. And that includes friends in the public schools. Hmm. You know, imagine yourself teaching the fourth grade and just having to worry that if you're you you mentioned that you have a same gender uh, partner um, and that coming home to a parent who doesn't want a gay person Mm -hmm. in the class with their their kid. I could easily imagine that happening Hmm. in our community. And you know depending on who the administration is and we hear good things about the administration here but if someone doesn't want to take that heat you can be fired hmm. and you wouldn't be hired again
0: wow so i i'm i'm curious when and i don't know exactly how to ask this question i guess i'm trying to think it through as i'm as i'm saying it do do you live just in this not even just springfield but just uh, sort of in the air of the nation as a whole do you live within the background sort of a sense of fear like uh, and and i'm going to i'm going to equate it to this um my good friends who are black there's a sense with them that um they have been pulled over many times yeah. For no reason, really. I mean, seriously, yeah. no reason. Like, if they were doing the same thing I was doing in the car, I didn't get pulled over <laughs> for that. But they've gotten pulled over. They've gotten frisked. Um, one guy that was a guest on my show said he's seen a gun, like, six times in his life. Four of those were pulled on him by police officers when he was just walking down the street. Wow. Um, so I'm I'm asking you from that sort of perspective. Like, from a from – do you ever feel that way? Like – in a sense, like, oh, if this person finds out, like, is there that sense of, of fear in your heart? Because I think that would be a very hard place to live from in, in some ways. That is
1: such a good question. And and I I have to... um seems like the kind of thing you should be able to answer without thinking about, but I, I think uh, I don't have that experience any... Well, I shouldn't say that. I think there are situations where I, I say I have to be careful what how I represent my husband or you know if I someone talks about my home life w- what I say because I don't want to I, but I think it's more that I don't want to make other people unnecessarily uncomfortable mm-hmm. in some situations and I think it think it could here but I think that's rare so I, I don't know um, I don't think I have that fear I know what you mean my husband is yeah. african-american and and um, and yeah he he lives with that um that fear about uh, who, who's going to pull them over and and uh, what what might happen if uh, one thing leads to another. I, I don't feel that. Yeah, hmm. I, that's I feel pretty fortunate.
0: Well, that's. There.
1: I think the first year that we put a big rainbow flag outside of our house <laughs> during Pride Month, it was a, that was a test. You know. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll sing you know Springfield's praises about this one too. I really love the way this this community does come together around issues and the way that we have this diversity here of hmm. viewpoints and don't always get along in all ways, but we, we know each other and um, form something bigger than ourselves together. Um, Springfield has not been a place where I have seen um, overt violence towards LGBT people. Now, there, are, it's happened, and there are police records to show it's happened. Um, it's not perfect, but in... I guess six, seven years of being part of an LGBT advocacy group and doing the first Pride celebrations in town, um, bringing the Dayton Gay Men's Chorus in to do holiday concerts for eight years now. Um, we just haven't seen it. Hmm. So um, you know, it's not it's not a testament to my character that I'm not afraid. I don't yeah. think Springfield's given me much cause to feel afraid.
0: Hmm. Well I'm glad to hear that yeah, that's that's yeah,
1: I'm, I'm glad it's the reality
0: yeah well that's I, I know that's not everybody's story so i i am right. i am glad to hear that um i'm I'm trying to to think how to wrap up our conversation a little bit and i'm um I'm just trying to think through some different things because I have um friends and family members who have have come out to me over the years and uh, and and many times it's been with a real Sense of fear, and that's one reason I'm I'm asking you about that. And I think some of them have even moved far away to places that have been more affirming because of the fear they are in at times. And I, and I think that's unfortunate. I think as I hear our conversation tonight, I'm hearing. In the midst of it all, first of all, I, I know many people are listening to this, and, and like I told you before we start, we're just about to, I think, 32,000 downloads of this podcast, so I know we've got people from all walks of life, from all denominations, from all kind of places. So I don't know that our conversation tonight, that I want to do anything other than just say, um, if you can, take time to listen to other people's stories and hear where they've been and where they're coming from, you know, um, so often we don't get to know other people because we've already got a preconceived notion (laughs) maybe about them at times. Um, And I I feel like part of what we can do and, and, and hopefully what's been happening in Springfield and what you've been experiencing, even with some of the stories you've told, is even with people that may not agree with where you're coming from, they've been gracious enough to listen to your stories. And that has enabled some conversations to happen that are very important. And uh, I guess if I want to try to do anything with a podcast format like this, when I'm always having guests on from all different walks of life, hopefully we can continue just to share those stories and talk about those things that make us human. And what I hear in this conversation too, those things uh, in our lives that are um, seemingly beyond our control – when we think about God and the way he calls us and you know I, William Willimon one of my favorite theologians he always says you know I question Jesus judgment sometimes because if it was me I wouldn't be calling half the people that <laughs> seem to get called and yet here we are on this journey together different stories but we have the same God who seems to be calling us out to be about his business in the world and um and I I think of uh just knowing you and and even my own attitude probably 15 20 years ago that would have probably not enabled me to have a friendship with you because of of my view on things like this so i want to thank you for um being sensitive to the lord and listening in your life you know and and what a benefit it's been to me to get to know you a little bit more and much of that is because you have sensed god leading in your life and um and i and i do mean it when i've heard you speak even tonight i've heard you speak out at other places um i do sense this real sense of jesus call to neighborliness and i i feel like it exudes from you and uh and so i appreciate it so much i appreciate well I i appreciate your heart and uh and for taking time to be with us tonight what is it that we have have missed in this conversation? Is there something that was kind of burning on your heart tonight that you wanted to share about that we just didn't get to? I, I realize we're like 52 minutes into our recording now, wow. and and I could go longer, but I, I usually try to keep it at around an hour. And um,
1: Well, as you were talking about uh, people coming forward to you to share their stories, and mm-hmm. you could read the fear yeah. in them, and, and uh, um, I uh, I think I understood your, your question a bit more, too, about... Um, about if I'm fearful in, in some situations, um, an observation that was really helpful to me was a um, oh, I'm going to forget the guy's name, uh, but he was a he was a, so, a civil rights activist who was kind of uh, Martin Luther King's era, and he had come to speak at Wittenberg. We just really had some tremendous speakers there. Um, and he said that you know the difference between African American civil rights and LGBT civil rights is that um, in the African American traditions, they had the church and the family working for them.
0: Hmm.
1: In the LGBT tradition, they've got the church and the family working against them. Against them, And and I think that's where that fear is, is that for Hmm. some people, not for everyone, but for some people, the things that would be bulwarks for them, the things that would prop them up, they think might not be there in this moment as they're coming forward. Saying what they're saying,
2: hmm.
1: um, and I've just been fortunate not to be in that that situation. Um, I worry certainly about social exclusion. No one likes to be be cut off. But, sure, but um, but as a you know as I described the church I grew up in, it it, it wasn't going to be a preoccupation. So even if I had been remarkably courageous and in those early years decided I was just going to say who I was and speak my truth and. Find a way to live my path. I don't think the church would have let me go, hmm. um, but I, I know that's not the universal yeah. story. Yeah, um, and that's where that fear is.
0: Yeah. Well, I I hope that even in, in my conservative denomination, um, I would hope and I pray um, that we can become a place where people can feel safe and find a place to come and know God more. And uh, that's that's my hope and. As Christians, I, I don't think that's always been the priority. We often tell people you have to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way, and then you can come be a part of us. Seems like that's the wrong order, uh, because Jesus doesn't seem to be so discerning about the people that he <laughs> he comes to, does he? And uh, and all of us have to be. Um, i think I think all of us are stretched by God, and all of us are stretched to become yeah. so much more than we ever would have been without him and yeah. um so anyway um I appreciate you taking time tonight. I hope you'll come back and, and be a guest again, and we can talk about some other things. One thing I know about you is, you know, I've I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole you. Like I, I have a a tendency to to feel like at times when I have guests on who are black, to, I don't want them to be like, oh, you're my black friend, yeah. or you know, I because I want <laughs> them to be neighbor. known as like, hey, you're my friend, and I don't yeah. want to just be, oh, you're my gay friend. I don't want to be just that way either. And I I know that you have so much that we could we could talk about and share and and matters of faith that are. Um, not even about this necessarily, and I'd love to do that sometime yeah. some more. Um, but thank you for tonight and, and having you. this conversation with me. Thank you
1: for your openness, your graciousness, and uh, uh, just um, making me feel at home. Yeah, well, it. I'm
0: glad you feel that way. Well, as I say to all my guests uh, here on Voices in My Head, thank you for being one of the Voices in My Head this week. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com. Follow me on Twitter at RickleyJames, Like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames. And keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P.A.R.E. Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace